Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Okay, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, very familiar passage of Scripture, and for the sake of time, I will just kind of highlight a few um, portions of it here. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. Uh, there's many uh, signs, wonders that came uh, out of all of that. They believed. They had all, came, all things common. They sold their possessions, goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. And then they continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness, singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. Now, there's a lot that is packed into um, these few verses of Scripture, and I'm not going to try to dig deep and unpack all of that. Instead, um, as we've been talking uh, here in the Bible College, Brother Senior, good to see you, sir. And uh, talking in a Bible college the, the last several days, or the last couple of days, about uh, personalities and, and uh, inspiring influencers and uh, dominant drivers. And all. I'm an inspiring influencer, and uh, Brother Carson's an inspiring influencer, and inspiring influencers like to tell stories. Uh, Brother Gallion is a dominant driver with an inspiring influencer, so he's dominant in his storytelling. And I know he likes to tell stories, and uh, I give honor to my friend. Uh, and his wife, and we have been friends for a long, long time, and my closest, closest friends. And, uh, but I'm going to tell some stories and just share some things with you. Along this subject matter, four key principles to be in an apostolic church in the modern world. Four key principles to be in an apostolic church in the modern world. Now, I, I was a home missions pastor, and uh, when I say home missions, I actually lived in the church uh, in a classroom for a couple of the years in order to make um, the, the note on the church. And, uh, and, and they, we, we had some challenges. Now, one of the biggest challenges, and it wasn't a large city. Uh, it was a city of about 60,000 people in the surrounding area. It was about a half a million. And um, one of the largest challenges that I faced as a pastor was that there was a very large church in town who were having services um, on Sunday night, uh, on Sunday morning, on Saturday night, they had like seven services. And I got to know one of the worship leaders from that church. And uh, it, it was a challenge for me because I would walk into our church with our, you know, at times 15, 20, 30, 35, sometimes 50 people. And, and then it would, you know, back down to, to 10. And you just never knew. It was up and down. And the challenge was, was that um, I, I was intimidated by this other church across town because they had everything that we did not have. Um, their, their music was really good. Uh, not only that, they could sing on tune. Uh, that helped. It really did help. Uh, whereas for us, I was the piano player. And uh, I, I, I sung bass in a quartet when I was in... Uh, in, in college, and uh, but I, I was not a, a, a good singer, 
And so it, it was a struggle. I had to do everything in the Home Missions Church. And uh, I, I would include in mowing the yard and cleaning the bathrooms and sweeping and painting and changing out the ballasts and fluorescent lights. I came to the point where I absolutely hate fluorescent uh, light bulbs. And, uh, and so it, it, was, it was a challenge. And I would look at this church across town and I would think, well, man, they, they've got it all together. And how could I ever compete with this church? And so for a few years, I just kept feeling like, you know, I, I don't know what I can do to compete. And I would try different things. And then finally, it began to dawn on me that there was nothing that I could do to compete with that other church across town. I didn't have their money. I didn't have their building. We, we didn't have their crowd. We didn't have their their talent. We didn't have their promotions. We didn't have, and I had a whole list of things that we didn't have, but then it finally dawned on me that we had something that they did not have, and that is that we had the truth. We had water baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and I finally began to realize that if we were going to be the church that God wanted us to be, it was paramount that we had to have a move of God with the 20 of us or the 30 of us or the 50 of us. Or if we were in a, homes, in a home group and there was 10 of us, we had to have a move of God because the move of God along with the truth was the only thing that separated us from somebody else who called themselves a church. And, and, and so I, I, I began to see some things that I hadn't seen before. And, and, and years later, the, the Lord uh, ministry began to change and things began to change and, and had opportunities to travel. So I, and I, I know some of you have experienced this, but I remember going to, to a, a, a country to where we walked in and, and this church um, would seat about uh, maybe 100 and they had over 400 people in, in this building. There, there was no aisles. There, there was no way to get to the pulpit down an aisle. Instead, you put your hand on someone's head, and they kind of moved over as much as they could, and you took a foot, and, and you stepped, and, and then you, you made your way. When you got to the, the pulpit, you didn't move around because the seats uh, for the ministers were right here. And there was no air conditioning. And, and we, we sweated like it was just unbelievable. It was so hot. Uh, my light blue shirt came out looking dark blue. It was a miracle uh, that happened in that service. It was, it was just so hot. And, and the, there, were, there was one musical instrument, and it happened to be a, a minister, and it was an uh, electric uh, guitar, and um, it had two strings. Uh, those two strings were not in tune. And those two strings that he played, he did not even know how to play those two strings. Um, it was like, and it was really weird. And we were singing like, it's amazing grace. It, 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 it didn't work. It didn't come together. And yet in that service, I remember people that were being healed and people were seeing the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I began to learn some more things. And what I begin to see is that, you know what? I love good music. And I mean, I do. I love good music. And I love having air conditioning. And I love having nice 
uh, pews to, to, to sit on as opposed to what I was sitting on in that church service. And I could go on and on. I remember going to Asia, and I, I won't name the country, but I was in Asia, and I really wasn't supposed to be there having church. And uh, I, I remember in, in those services with some of those leaders, at the, as they sit on little round stools for seven to nine hours a day to hear, hear teaching, seven to nine hours with no backing to, to, the, to, their, to their chair. And, and, and I begin to realize some things, and some things that begin to stand out to me is that when it's all said and done, I want good music, I want a good air condition, I want nice pews, I want all the nice things, but when it's all said and done, I want a move of God above everything else. Give me a move of God and I'll be okay. Amen. I know it's a Wednesday night, and I normally don't talk this fast, but I've got a lot I want to say. And, uh, and I'm, my, I always say I don't yell, but my kids say, Dad, you yell all the time. And I, it's because I get excited, and I'm like, ugh. But I'm telling you, I remember those moments when I walk in to places where, like, it, it, it doesn't fit with our paradigm. The, the, the place I'm talking about in Asia, you, you don't have a steeple. You don't have crosses. You don't have promotions. In fact, you don't wear a tie. You do not wear a tie. You don't want anyone knowing that you wear a tie. You don't carry a Bible. And yet, I walked into those meetings, and I saw God move. I remember in, in one, sitting there with, with about 25 pastors, and I said, who's that guy over there? And he goes, that guy that looks like a farmer? I said, yeah. He goes, well, he's a farmer. And I said, that's it? He goes, no. He said, he's also an apostle Paul. He pastors 18 churches, 18,000 people, all filled with Jesus, uh, been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. See that guy over there? He pastors 20,000 people. See that guy over there? And these are guys that are pastoring churches that don't look anything like Calvary Tabernacle. And yet there is a similarity between Calvary Tabernacle and what is going on there. And that is that there is a move of God. And I'm here tonight saying that we have got to have that move of God always. Amen. This is a key principle. And the reason I'm taking a little bit of time laying this foundation, because I want to go a little bit further in saying that when you have a move of God, because having a move of God is not just about having a move of God on Sunday. And having a move of God is just not, it's not just about having a move of God on Wednesday or in a special revival service. But the fact is, is that you and I are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And everywhere we go, we ought to be having a move of God. In other words, we're in the grocery store and the Holy Ghost begins to speak to us. We ought to be able to minister to someone. We're out at a restaurant and the Holy Ghost begins to speak to us. We ought to be able to lay hands on our waitress and our waitress receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I I'm saying that right here, right here is the church. We have church, but we are the church. We need to have a move of God everywhere we go. Can someone say amen? Is this okay? Am I talking too fast? Okay. Thank you. We need to be growing spiritually. Now, disciple classes, they're, they're, they're good. Nothing, nothing wrong with discipleship classes. I, I teach some. I've helped write some material. But if we think that we can disciple somebody from just taking them through a 10-week or 12-week course, then we are fooling ourselves. A, 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 a disciple is a follower of Christ. 
And being a follower of Christ doesn't just start and end after 12 weeks. It is a lifetime pursuit. And you and I, and along with others, we need to be growing spiritually. I want to say growing spiritually. Growing spiritually. This, this is what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4 and 7. He says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now, years ago, I'm always amazed I start to tell the story because I'm like, why am I telling this story? Because it's embarrassing on my part, or it should be embarrassing on my part, put it that way. But years ago, my wife walked into our house and I was exercising in the living room. And she came home from work and she said, what are you doing? And I'm bouncing around in the living room and all I did, because I was out of breath, I just pointed at the VCR. I said this was years ago. And my wife goes over and picks it up, and unbeknownst to her, I had ordered it. It had this man on the front of this cover, and he was ripped. I mean, he had a 12-pack. And it said at the very top, beach body. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to get me a beach body. That's all I could get out of my mouth. And my wife got laid down on the, on, the, on the floor there laughing her head off. And then she said, you're doing it wrong. You're not even doing that right. You're punching like a sissy. This is the how, and she started showing me how I'm supposed to punch. And I said, get out of here, leave me alone. I'm trying to get a beach body. That lasted about like my, my running and my weightlifting and everything else. It lasted about a, 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 just two or three weeks. And then I finally got tired of it because it was a lot of work. It hurt. And so I, I'm always, I'm, I'm 54 now, and I'm, I'm, you know, getting your 50s, and you start gaining a little bit. And I used to be able to drink milkshakes after milkshakes, and, you know, now I, I can't do that anymore, not like I used to. And, uh, and so now I, I finally figured it out. I'm trying to get in shape. I'm not training. And there's a difference between trying to live for God, trying to grow spiritually, as opposed to training. Paul says exercise, or in other words, train yourself into godliness. Growing spiritually doesn't just happen because we go to church service. I mean, I love Wednesday nights. My favorite, I love to teach. But growing, going to church on a Wednesday night is not enough for us to grow spiritually. It's a, it's a, it's a great thing. We need it. I'm not, nothing against it. But we have to train ourselves unto godliness. That means you and I, we actually have to put forth effort in order to grow spiritually. Amen. Paul writes in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. Paul's not saying that, oh, I forget about my sins, I forget about my past mistakes. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that what has gotten me this far is not enough. Instead, i got to keep reaching forward to other things. i got to build off of where I'm at right now, and I need to continue to grow. That's what Paul was saying. And so we need to continue to grow spiritually. So, so here's a key principle. You and I have to apply ourselves in growing spiritually. Amen. I, I got into a dominant driver. I was preaching Sunday morning back at home. And I got into a dominant driver and I said, if you just stayed all day yesterday 
and it's your house and you just sit around and watch TV all day long and you never got into the word of the Lord and you come to church thinking that it's somehow that you're going to get everything right today. I said, you're missing it. I said, you can't waste an entire day on just, just crazy stuff and never apply yourself to growing spiritually. And then I stepped back to my inspiring influencer because you're always worried about people. And I said, is everybody okay? But the truth of the matter is, is that if, if we do not apply ourselves, we're not, we're not growing spiritually. And, and let, let's just be honest just for a second. We have way too many issues in our lives for us to just to go through the motions. We have to train ourselves. We can't just try. We have to train. Everyone say amen. 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 Let me move on. Number three, true fellowship involves truly caring. We, we have meet and greet at our church, and we, before pre-COVID, we would walk around, we shake hands, and, and we tell people that what is embarrassing, what is not. And so we say, we're going to welcome our guests here. We're not going to embarrass you. No one's going to ask you to sing, stand, or anything. All we're going to do is ask you to raise your hand, which means that for us, raising your hand is not embarrassing because we just told them it's not embarrassing to raise your hand. Psychology. And so we say, uh, all right, you know, so-and-so, would you just raise your hand? We want to greet you here in a few moments, and we got a gift for you. And, and then we say, let's all stand five minutes, meet and greet, and we're all over the church. This lets us as ministers see who's their guest, and we're making a beeline for our guest, and, and everything is great. But that's, that's not enough. So this is what happened. I, I would run around. I'd find different people and shake their hands, and I was new, and I'm trying to get to know people. And, and I come up on this guy. His name's James. James has got salt and pepper hair, and uh, he's, he's a pretty big guy. And, and I find James, and I'm like, man, I, I'm going to make a good connection with James. And, and the next thing I know, we're going to Alaska on a men's fishing trip, and someone says to me, hey, James is kind of a new Christian. He's probably going to ask a lot of questions, and I know it's probably going to mess up fishing, and, and I hope he doesn't do that. And uh, so we get to Alaska, and, and James and I, we just started striking up this friendship. And we're as different as night and day. James is as dry personality as all get out. And I don't know a whole lot about James. But we have a little bit of a conversation, and, and then Hurricane Harvey comes through. And my house is just about ready to be flooded. Uh, my son lost his car. Houses all around me are flooded out. James calls me, and he says, hey, he goes, uh, do you want me to come uh, pick you up? I, I live right around the corner, and James comes over and picks me up. And, and it, it was amazing because during this time, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get to know James. And finally, I just said, James, are you going to our home fellowship group meetings? We have them once a month on Wednesday. And he says, oh, I've been like one or two. And I said, would you come to my house? I'm going to grill out. He goes, I'll be there. And then I walk up to another guy. His name is William. I said, hey, William. I said, I know you're fairly new. I said, you want to come over to my house? I'm going to grill out. I didn't know. His wife is from Brazil. He, he lived most of his life in Brazil. He's like a master at grilling steaks. And I invited him over to my house for me to grill hamburgers. I told him the other day, I said, I will never, ever do that again. And so he came over to my house. And, uh, and, and, I, and I watched some dynamics begin to happen that were just profound. Because James was coming only on Sunday morning. His wife had been through some, some horrific things. Her brother was, was just a fine Christian. He was up in a tree six feet off the ground cutting a limb, and the limb broke that he was standing on, and he fell, and his head hit the concrete sidewalk, and he died. And, and, and Julie would come to church and met James and brought him to church, but Julie wasn't really active in church, wasn't really doing much in church at all. 
I invited James over to our house. They came. It wasn't about a month and a half, two months later, I looked over in a service, and here's Julie down the altar. It's been, been like 15 years of her really, not really living for the Lord. Julie's down on the altar, hands lifted up, tears running down her face, speaking in tongues. Now Julie's one of our Sunday school teachers. James is now at the head of our security. They don't miss church unless they're out of town. William starts coming. He goes, man, he goes, we were getting ready to leave the church. He said, because we were not connecting. Come to find out, his last name is Dross. The Dross family, missionaries everywhere. William takes me to, with him to Brazil. We, uh, he, I just got a, a, an email from him yesterday. It said, hey, you ready to go back to Brazil this June? Been to Brazil, uh, Brazil and spent two weeks traveling all over. I, I, I turned around and William, we were in Brazil because in home, he, he just, he works a job and comes to church. He's not really super active. And I turned around in Brazil and I hit him with my, my microphone while I was preaching. I said, preach. And I let go and he took off and preached the house down. My, my point here today is that for us to truly have fellowship, it has to go beyond a five-minute meet and greet or hello, how are you out in the hallway or I really love you or running into them at a restaurant. For us to truly have fellowship, we truly have to care. Amen. Amen. These are just four very simple, four very simple keys, principles to us having uh, and being an apostolic church in our modern world. This is what our world needs. Amen. I said, this is what our world needs. You know, I, I don't like wearing clothes that are out of style. I still got a little bit of that in me, you know. I don't want my pants to be too baggy. Thank you. I'm feeling right at home now. I don't want my pants to be too baggy, but at the same time, I mean, let's, let's be real. Let's be real for a moment. Is us wearing our pants super short and super tight, am I going there right now with a little flower? Nothing, you know, if you want to do all that, that's fine. But is that really what is going to make the difference in us reaching our world? Or is it a move of God? Is it us really growing spiritually? And is it us connecting with people to the point that we truly care? I'm telling you, I, 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 some of you, you have these experiences. I've been enough places to know that some of the things that our modern world thinks right here in America that we think we have to have in order to be, you know, this growing, thriving our church in our world today, we don't have to have. I'm not, I'm not saying some of these things are wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when it's all said and done, principles, principles, listen to me for a second. Principles are both timeless and universal. They are fundamental laws that work everywhere. So in other words, what works here will work in China, and what works in China will work here. And what worked 2,000 years ago will work today. So it's not about style of clothing. It's not about style of music. And I'm not against all these things. I'm just saying that when it's all said and done, a move of God. Can someone say man? Growing spiritually. Can someone say man? And truly caring makes a difference. It's what matters. Hallelujah. So I, I, let, 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 me, let me bring this to a close. I, I want to make sure I'm conscious of time. I, I, 
I walked to the pulpit in Canada with no intentions of teaching this lesson. In fact, I had never taught it before. I walked to the pulpit with a totally different lesson. And as I began to speak, the Lord just began dealing with me and said, talk about this. And I started talking about these principles. And I, I shared the fourth one. And then I went from there and I was in, I was in um, uh, Wisconsin. And I went to do a leadership meeting. And there was about 45 of the key leaders at the church. And I walked to the, the podium to speak and I began to talk and I never got to my leadership notes. Instead, I, I talked for uh, an hour and 15 minutes on what I'm talking about right now. And I got to the fourth point and, uh, and, um, and that was kind of the end of it. And then I was in, in, in Ohio and the same thing happened. And then I went from there and I went to teach Purpose Institute. And it's kind of like a somewhat of like a college kind of like a, kind of like getting your associate's degree. They, they have them everywhere and, and churches can host them. And so I went to one in, in Texas and I got up to teach my lesson and I started down the same exact lines. And um, I left from there, got in my vehicle, headed home. And then I got a call. And it said uh, from our senior pastor, Pastor Ron McKean, he said, uh, I want you to preach tomorrow morning. I've, I've got to be gone. I need you to take care of everything. And so I hung up the phone. I'm thinking, man, I don't have much time to study. And then my phone rings and it's Jason Gallion calling me. And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't need to talk right now, but I'll, I'll talk for a little bit. And we talked for about 10 minutes. And he says, hey, um, he said, I, got, I got to run. He goes, hey, before you go, I got to tell you something really quick. And he starts telling me about going to Tuttle, Orchard, and I guess he preached the message here a while back on, uh, what'd you call, title it? What Tuttle Knows. Does anybody remember that? There's a couple hands. Good. There's a couple hands, Brother Gallion. That means they're not going to remember this illustration. You'll probably remember the illustration, actually. He says, man, I just left Tuttle Orchard, and he goes, and this is what this that just happened. And as he begins sharing this story with me, Brother Massengale, I, I, I was so impacted. And then the Holy Ghost began to move, and I said, I gotta hang up right now. God is speaking to me. And I hung up the phone, and the next hour of drive, the Holy Ghost began to speak to me, and it totally messed up this lesson that I never put notes to, because I never really intended on teaching. It was just very simple, just some key principles. And it began to mess me up, and the Lord began speaking to me. The, 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 the illustration was, was that he went to visit Tuttle's Orchard, and uh, the individual there told him, he said, yeah, we have these trees that do not bear fruit. And in the third year, if they're not bearing fruit, we take an ax and we wound the trunk of the tree. And something happens, and instead of the tree that's been, that hasn't been growing, instead of focusing on growing out here, it turns and it begins to heal. And as it begins to heal, all of a sudden, growth takes place. The Holy Ghost spoke to me and said that you have been teaching this lesson. And you've been teaching out of Acts 2. But Acts 2 is not the model for an apostolic church in the modern world. And I'm like, what? And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, Acts 1 and 8, that you shall receive power. And afterwards, you shall be witnesses, not only to Jerusalem, but in Judea 
and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And it was in Acts 8 when the church was persecuted or wounded. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Anybody know where I'm going with this? When the church was wounded, persecuted, that the church then went forward into Judea and Samaria and the other most part of the earth. It, it, it moved. It moved forward. And the Lord began speaking to me and said, Acts 2 was not the perfect model. He said, because in Acts 2, they were still stuck in Jerusalem. I hesitate, I'm hesitant to say what I'm getting ready to say right now because um, I have such a high regard for my in-laws. I shared this today with the, with the faculty and, and staff, but I, I feel led to share this again because I want this to be, I want, this, I want us to get this. I want this to be really in our spirit. I, I, my in-laws are phenomenal people, the greatest Christians I've ever been in around my life. They're just, they're great people. My mom and dad are, are phenomenal people. I'm very thankful. I'm very blessed. But I was pastor in East Tennessee. My marriage was about a two at best. My wife was dealing with major anger issues. My children were, were four and, and one years old, and it was, it was, it was, it was a struggle. And uh, it, it, we're not talking about just a couple weeks. We're talking not just about a couple months, but years. About three to four years where it was at its peak. And, and I'll, never, I'll never forget the day that my wife came to me on the back porch. I was grilling hamburgers. And she said, babe, she said, I, uh, I couldn't sleep last night. And I went to the guest bedroom. And I began to pray. And I asked God, God, why am I so angry? And God spoke to me. And he said, it's because of what happened to you when you were a child. My wife had never told anybody. My in-laws did not know. But uh, from the age of 7 to the age of 14, my wife was sexually molested by multiple people. It was impacting our marriage. We're in our 30s. And I'm pastoring. It's a struggle. Today, my marriage is a nine point, I say it's 9.5, 9.8, and depends on if she snored last night. <laughs> She's my best friend. We have a great marriage. My wife is right now, she's an she's a elementary special needs school teacher, but she is also working on her doctorate. I watch her get up at morning at 3.30 to 4 o'clock every morning and do her studies. She's getting a doctorate in community care and counseling. She has the desire to help ministers and their families get through pains and hurts. She's going to start a retreat. We're already in meetings with it. It's just amazing, a businessman coming, uh, an apostolic businessman minister who's coming on board. And um, it's just amazing what God is doing. It's going to unfold here in the next year or two. And uh, I just say that to simply say that there's not one of us in this place that hasn't been hurt, gone through some things. But we can either allow those things to shut us down or we can allow those things to propel us forward into a future that God saw from the very beginning. And God said, you know what, I'll take all of that and I'll turn it around. I've done it before. I'll, I did it for, 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 for Joseph and I, I, you know, I, just on and on. I mean, just think of all the individuals in the Bible. I did it for them and I can do it for you. 
Hallelujah. So the, 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 fourth, the fourth principle here is that what is most personal is actually most universal. What you think is just your story that no one else can relate to, if you will begin ministering out of that pain, begin speaking those words of encouragement and words of healing that you have gone through, that you've experienced, and you begin sharing that with the world around you, oh my word, you'll turn your world upside down because there's a lot of hurting people in our world that need to know that if I get a hold of what this person's got a hold of, I know that I can not only get through this, but God can take what I've experienced and my pain will not be a waste Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I, 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 I know this is a Wednesday night. I'm not trying to make something out of, out, of, out of something, but I'm just telling you that if we as the church could ever get a hold of some of these just key principles here, and I know that some of you, you, you get it, but I, I'm speaking right now to some hurts and some pains and some things we've experienced. Instead of putting that on the shelf and pretending it never happened, why don't we take that and allow God to use it to propel us forward and impact the world around us? Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not, I'm not pastor, but I got enough pastoring in me that I just got to say something right now. If you've been through a divorce, let God take what you've been through and start teaching a, a Bible study or a class or a seminar. Do something to help other people through divorce. If you've overcome pornography, then let God use you to help somebody else overcome pornography. If you've come through some hard things in your life and, and you're wondering, well, what was the value of all of that? Well, let God bring value to it by letting you be involved in ministry with that, whatever it is that you've been through. Does this make sense? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, in your name, God, I know there are people here right now God, that you have been birthing ministry into people that are sitting here right now. You've been birthing ministry into them, and that ministry goes way beyond them singing in a choir, way beyond them just greeting somebody at a door, way beyond them being an usher, way beyond them being a Sunday school teacher, way beyond them being just a prayer warrior. But God, you have been birthing ministry in the people here in this place here tonight, God, who have been through some things in life and God, you want to use those hurts to help them minister to a broken world in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. These are key principles. I'm telling you, these are key principles to being a growing, thriving apostolic church in a modern world. This is what our world needs. Can someone say amen?